Praise God. How you doing? Good. God is good. Um, <clears throat> thank you, guys. Thank you all. Um, okay, so uh, I like tonight. I like spring break nights here. It feels like family talk. Um, and I like what tonight's going to be. Um, if you guys are cool with this, it's just going to be story night. Um, and when I say it's going to be story night, I mean it's going to be good stories. I mean it's going to be Jesus stories. We're just going to open up scripture and we're going we're gonna to tell stories of Jesus. Uh, we are in the middle of this series called Barriers. And the whole heartbeat behind this series is, um, is really our, our desire to uh, step into some hard conversations. Uh, there are barriers in our faith that happen all the time. Uh, there's barriers for others uh, who don't know Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, who don't believe uh, in Jesus, and there are barriers that they've run into that have really kept them from following, following Christ and, and putting their faith in Christ. Um, we've talked the last couple of weeks about a few of them. The first one, um, what we did was we talked about that the church should be a community um, where it's safe to wrestle with doubts, right? The church should be a community. The people of God should be a place where uh, it's safe to be able to bring doubts in and be able to bring hard conversations and really wrestle with truth. And so often for people, they don't feel that way. Right? They don't feel like it's a safe place to bring up hard questions. Um, but, uh, but we see that it is, and we see that Jesus did that. We see that Jesus did that really well. We, we see this model of Jesus throughout the Gospels where he invited people to come along and walk with him who maybe didn't even believe he was the Messiah, right? who, who didn't really believe who he was or what he was preaching, but he allowed them to belong anyway. Um, and that was, that, was a, that was a big thing of how God uh, how God raised up other believers to then eventually put their faith in him. And make no mistake, uh, faith is required, right? There's a step of faith that if we want to spend eternity with God, uh, there is that step of faith. But we love the picture that Jesus modeled to say, man, you can belong before you have to believe. And then last week, that was two weeks ago, last week, we talked about the barrier of hypocrisy. <clears throat> and this is something that we have all seen. This is something that if we're honest, we are all guilty of. Uh, and that's this idea that uh, we as those of us in this room who are Christians, those who profess to be Christians, um, and we make mistakes, and we blow it, and we misrepresent who Christ is in our life uh, in seasons and in times and, uh, and weeks and days and months and years. And so uh, that becomes a real stumbling block for people. It becomes this barrier that they don't want to worship that God. If these are the people who worship that God and this is what their life looks like, I don't want to follow that God. And so it becomes a barrier for people. And so we looked at that, and we just talked about how, man, we as believers have to own that. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to see that in us. But then we really also talked about what it looks like for us to grow out of that because we shouldn't be okay with that. And, uh, and the difference between just modifying our behavior and really having heart change that produces real change in our life. Because the world sees, if we just say, oh, we're just going to be better people. We're just going to modify our behavior. We don't really love the Lord more. And out of response to our love for the Lord, we're, we're walking in holiness. No, no, we're just supposed to be good people. So we just start faking it and Man, the world can smell that a mile away. And so we walk through this. So brings me to tonight. Tonight we're walking through the barrier of, uh, of judgment. Um, and this is one that, uh, <clears throat> this is, well, they all suck. But this one really sucks. May, I might say that every week, though, to be honest. But this one sucks. Um, the barrier of, of judgment is, uh, is something that I've felt in my life, um, but I know I've talked with a ton of people. Um, who, who don't follow Christ, who don't believe in the God I believe in. And when they talk about Christianity and then we talk about even the God that I worship and love and loves me so patiently and so graciously, um, the perception they get is a God who's just judgmental, 
and angry. Um, and, uh, and they see a church that's just homophobic and bigoted uh, and hateful. And, and that's the perception that, uh, that so often uh, the world around us sees in, in our lives. And they see that uh, for a lot of reasons and a lot of mistakes. Um, one of the most extreme examples of this that I can think of is Westboro Baptist Church. And unfortunately, a lot of people in this room know what Westboro Baptist Church is. Uh, I actually want, I, I debated whether or not I was going to do this um, because it's so offensive, but I thought, ah, this is renovate. You guys can handle it. And because um, I didn't want to avoid it. And I thought, so I want to put up the website, if you'll put up the website of Westboro Baptist Church. So this is, you Google Westboro Baptist Church, and this is the website, and it's kind of small, and I'll read some of the things on there. It's hard for you to see. Um, but I thought, man... This is offensive. This is really, really offensive, and it's horrible, and it's hateful. And, uh, and I thought, man, maybe I shouldn't show this. And then I thought, man, we've got to see what the world sees. And I think one of the problems that we have is we in the church want to just turn a blind eye and not see um, the, what the world sees uh, so often our God representing. So Westboro Baptist Church is a church in Kansas that's pretty nationally renowned and nationally known, unfortunately. Their URL, guys, if you Google them and click on their website, their URL, and what it says there on the top of the website, if you can't read it, is God hates fags. That's the URL of Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas. Um, if you scroll down, uh, there's articles, most recently a video that I watched today that made me a little sick to my stomach that says Billy Graham is in hell. Um, there is, uh, there's picket signs to print off that say God hates fags, uh, you're going to hell. Um, scroll up, Jeffrey. Uh, here at the top, the quick links, the very first quick link, click on that, it says picket schedules. And what Westboro Baptist does is, uh, I don't even know if they congregate on Sunday because I looked at their picket schedule and they are booked, right? I mean, multiple times. Uh, this next Monday, they're picketing an Eagles concert. Tomorrow night, they're picketing a pink concert. And they print out signs that say horrible, hateful things about how God uh, hates everyone who... who uh, commit sin, and they're all going to hell. Uh, the very last one on there, what is the very last one on there, is Rancho Romero Elementary School in Alamo, California. I read the press release. I'm not sure exactly, like I read it, they're going to picket an elementary school on March 27th. They're going to picket an elementary school, and it has something to do with prayer being removed from schools or something like that. I'm not sure. There's a ticker on the side. There's a ticker on the side here that actually says, um, it says, how many people have been killed in Afghanistan? How many people God has killed in Afghanistan because of the sins of our country? Like soldiers who have died in the Afghanistan conflict and war because of the sins of America. Uh, there's a ticket right there that Jeffrey highlighted that says, people who God has sent to hell since you loaded this page. And it now says 140, 142, 144. This is awful. Right, like my card's on the table. This is evil stuff. Thank you, Jeffrey. This is evil stuff. Right? This is, and yet, and this is an extreme example, but this is so often what our culture sees. People who don't know Jesus, who haven't been loved by Jesus, who haven't been changed by Jesus, maybe didn't grow up in the home that maybe some of your stories tie into, that certainly my story ties into, maybe raised in some of the churches, that, that's what they see. They see a bunch of people who, in the name of Jesus, are saying, oh man, if you vote for this candidate, you're going to hell. Oh man, if you've ever struggled with this sin, you're going to hell. It's, it's a judgmental barrier. Yeah, Reese, that, that's, uh, that's super tough. 
Um, that's super tough. I know that's, that's a part of your story, and that's heavy, and that's hard uh, to deal with. But it's not just, I mean, I wish, I so badly wish I could just take that and just put it on cults, right, these extreme cults and these crazy extreme churches like Westboro. I wish I could say, yeah, man, it's those guys. And yet the reality is, I think it hits way, way closer to home. I would chat afterwards. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, Reese is, Reese is talking about his brother who represents a, a, a group like this. Um, and Reese has wrestled with that and had to, to grow up as the younger brother of that and fight that and, and fight what it looks like to walk into a church and feel like, oh, man, are all churches that way? And so uh, I'd love to chat with you about that, man. I know that, I know that that is something that has hurt you because you've seen it play out in your life. Um, man, guys, it, it's tough. We have to own this, though. We have to own this, and we have to take some responsibility to say, man, what, is, what does our posture look like as a follower of Christ? And then also, if you're in this room where we're going tonight is I want to introduce you. I want to tell stories, and I want to introduce you to Jesus and who he is and how he loves and who he loves and who he invites to come along. Um, there's tension in our, in our culture for sure. I mean, there's tension here around this issue. Uh, I want to show you a, a testimonial of Taylor uh, who we love, who's a part of this ministry, and, uh, and just hear a little bit of her story and, uh, and how this barrier of judgment really affected her when she was trying to grow and surrender her life to Christ. I'm Taylor Christensen, and a barrier for me in my growing relationship with Jesus was seeing the church and the body of Christ as just a bunch of judgmental people. So growing up, I was blessed to live in a family that was for my happiness and for my good, so daily they would tell me, do whatever you want to do and do whatever makes you happy, be whoever you want to be. And um, so that's exactly what I did. So growing up, um, got involved with everything that I wanted to do. And when I got to college, I really started to pursue um, just the ways of the world and becoming really passionate about the, what, what the world is really passionate about. Um, and interacted with a bunch of people who were different than me and believed in different things and lived their lives in different ways. And um, I loved that. I experienced a lot of growth and I experienced a lot of deep relationship with a lot of people. But then I started to follow Jesus and um, I was scared that I was gonna have to disassociate with all of these people that I had built relationships with because I saw the church as a bunch of um, blatantly hateful people, whether it was um, outwardly racist or people that didn't want to associate with women that have had abortions or um, were scared of people that um, were attracted to different sexes, um, that I was going to have to um, stop being in relationship with these people because that's what I viewed the church um, as people that did that. But these last two years, um, the Lord has used a community to introduce me um, to a new way that I look at God. Um, this community has opened my eyes to see the Lord as someone, yes, who takes sin really seriously, um, but he also is a God that meets people exactly where they're at. Um, and yeah, the community has just um, given me a um, new lens for who Jesus was. And I'm reminded that Jesus spent his time on earth with the least of the people, the most broken, um, and that's what we're exactly called to do. So. I've learned and I'm still growing and learning what it looks like to live a life that mimics Jesus. Um, but he did exactly that and he met people exactly where they're at. And um, that's what the church exists to do. Praise God. Uh, praise God that uh, Taylor's story has such a happy ending. Right? Praise God that she got to that place 
um, where she was able to reconcile this God who takes sin seriously, but she, she really grew up in a place where she just thought, man, I want to follow Jesus. God's doing something in my heart, but I got to look like that. I got I to gotta never hang out with these people. I got to all of a sudden judge them and um, praise the Lord that she has uh, grown to see what that looks like. So that's where we're going tonight. I want to show you guys what that looks like. I want tonight to be really worshipful uh, as we look at this Jesus and as we look at how we balance those things. And uh, my prayer is that either somebody here tonight uh, maybe has never had this barrier torn down or somebody listening to this on podcast has never had this barrier turned down and they get to see a Jesus they haven't seen. But I also think it's really applicable to everyone in this room uh, because even as I was studying this, I realized a level of conviction of I need more of this. I need, I need more of his posture uh, and less of my own and less of what the world would have me do. So what's, what's it gonna be, right? We've got this Old Testament and this New Testament too that talks a lot against sin, talks against sexual morality, talks about uh, different elements of sexuality, talks about drunkenness and greed and condemns it. And the Bible clearly condemns sin. Paul, even in the New Testament, um, he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a pretty bold statement. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, we don't get to pick and choose the verses that we want to be authoritative for us in Scripture. And so a big part of who we are as a church and what we believe here is we believe this book is authoritative. Um, we believe that this is divinely inspired and inerrant from the Lord. And so because of that, we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to just say, you know what, I'm going to take the really cush parts of Jesus and him being nice, but I'm going to cut out the Old Testament. I'm going to cut out this. I don't know if I believe this. We wrestle with it and we say, okay, we're going to meet the Lord on his terms and go to. So we've got to do something with this. We've got to do something with this. So I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, and we're going to circle back around and we're going to, we're going to deal with how, how Paul deals with this. Um, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to make sense of this. Tonight, I just want us to make sense of this, right? This, this God who says that all these things, these people don't inherit the kingdom of God, right? Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how do we how do we make sense of this? Um, ready? <clears throat> Luke chapter 19. Here's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> First 10 verses. And we'll throw the verses up on the screen too if that's easier for you to track along that way. Uh, but what I want you to do is as you read these stories and as I get to tell you these stories of Jesus, I want you to, to find the answer. I want us to look for the answer of who did Jesus love? Who did Jesus invite? Who did Jesus call to follow him? So, in chapter 19 of Luke, verses 1 through 10, here's what, here's what Luke writes. He says he, talking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh, so, so, stop real quick there. A lot of us kind of know the connotation of tax collector, but I think it gets lost um, sometimes. A tax collector was just the worst, Right? They were the worst. I'm not going to go into how bad it was, but it represented somebody who was just a traitor, a traitor to God's people, swindler, just uh, somebody who was backstabbing to all the religious, all the Jews around them. Uh, they had sold out um, in, in kind of the worst ways possible. And so this guy was a chief tax collector. So bad news. And he was rich, which means he was good at stealing from, from God's people. <clears throat> and he was... 
and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, the Zacchaeus guy was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So here's the scene. Jesus has just a mob following him, right? So much so that a guy couldn't, knew he was going to be passing by, wanted to see this Jesus fella, and, and wasn't going to be able to see him because there was a crowd. He climbs into a tree just so we can get a glimpse at who Jesus is. Jesus walks by, gets underneath that tree, and says, hey, you're Zacchaeus, and I'm going to your house today. That would have been so, so controversial. So controversial for Jesus, the rabbi. The, I mean, people are wrestling with, is this the Messiah? Is this the, the next prophet? Who is this authoritative figure? And in this culture, to go to somebody's house, this wasn't Jesus being nice to the kid in the high school lunchroom and sitting with him, right? There was something authoritative about who Jesus was and what he represented for the culture and everyone around him that was following him. And to say, I'm going to go into your house and fellowship and break bread with you would have been seen not just as unclean, it would have been seen as Jesus approving of Zacchaeus, stepping into his home and approving of him. Just so radical, this, this invitation that Jesus has. So Zacchaeus, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He's like, oh, of course, I'm not gonna keep Jesus out of my house. He received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Why does he show up in this really controversial, he's walking down the street, he picks a guy out of a tree who represented what everyone around him was following him, despised, and he said, you're the guy I'm gonna go fellowship with. Out of all these other faithful, loyal, I'm sure more moral, just because this guy's chief tax collector, the story's in here for a reason, why? Maybe this will help, another story. <clears throat> another story about Jesus, Mark 2, I'm gonna throw it up on the screen. Um, Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to this story about Jesus. I think this helps answer it. <clears throat> he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So here we go again. At the beginning of the book of Mark, he calls a tax collector to come and be one of his disciples. Levi was Matthew. So the gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, was written by this bro right here that Jesus calls. He says, hey, you're a tax collector. Come and follow me. And he does, and he invites him to his house. And so as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, so all these religious people, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them. So interesting, he, they asked the same question I ask. Right? They asked the same question I think we should all ask. Why is he doing that? Why is he sitting, why is he sitting and almost seeming to approve of these people who are so far from him, who are not just far from him, they're betraying God's people. 
This is Jesus' answer in Mark 2 to that question. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm going to read Jesus' response again. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you are a self-righteous person in this room tonight, this is bad news. Um, We we know in Scripture that no one is righteous, no, not one. Uh, And so when Jesus says he came not to call the righteous, uh, what he means is he came not to call the people who would self-identify themselves as righteous. Jesus knew that no one was truly righteous apart from him. So if we're self-righteous, if we find ourselves in seasons of self-righteousness, in moments of self-righteousness, then this becomes really convicting for us. Jesus, God's son, right? The incarnate presence of God, right? God with flesh on. He came for sinners, And he loves to show compassion for sinners. And he came to heal broken people who are humble. But the person who says, you know what, I'm good. And the person who instead says, look at that person. Look at that person's sin. If We have to check our hearts and say, man, is there there that in me? Do I approach a sermon like this? Do I approach texts like this? Do I approach questions like this and think, no, no, tonight's not really going to apply to me. Right? Do we approach it in that way and say, okay, that's not for me. That's for someone else. Or is our posture when we approach the throne of God and we approach his truth to say, we are humble, Lord, teach me. I know there is depth that can be found. I know that my roots can go deeper. I know that there's blind spots that I need revealing. Because Jesus, the son of God, came for sinners. He came for those who were humble to love and show compassion. Okay, another story. I told you, this is gonna be story night, guys. Another story. I got to actually preach this, um, I got to preach this whole sermon based on this. It's John 8, 1 through 11. John 8, 1 through 11, and uh, we'll put it up on the screen for you because I know I'm, I'm dragging you guys all around the Bible. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. Um, here's what happens in John 8. <clears throat> this is so good. Oh, Lord, give us ears to hear. This is so good. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Uh, This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And in verse 10, it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. That is a compassionate God. A woman who's caught in her sin, right? Caught, it says, in the act of adultery. So these men took a woman at the, 
at the height of her shame and most likely drug her before the perfect and holy God, most likely naked or almost naked, and drug this woman before the God. She knew the law. She knew what she deserved. She knew the condemnation that came with her sin. Man, for those of us who are sinners, how do we not see ourselves as that woman? I don't know where you've been. I don't know the depth of your sin. You don't know the depth of my sin. I'm not even sure that I know the depth of my sin, if I'm real honest, but I'm trying. God's being really gentle to reveal little bits at a time. But man, when we think about the depths of our sin, when we think about the places maybe you have been, the mistakes you've made, the paths that you've walked down, man, the truth is that sin has consequences. Man, God's word says it has consequences. Consequences. That sin produces death. It deserves death. It requires death. Our God's holy and perfect. And here this woman is caught and dragged before Jesus. What's he do? He shows her this kind of compassion. This radical, radical compassion. And then he gives her a command. Really important command. He shows her this kindness. And then he gives her this important command. He doesn't say your sin's no big deal. He doesn't say those guys are blowing it way out of proportion. Oh, those guys are reading the Bible out of context. He doesn't say that. But for some gracious reason, the God of the universe says, I'm not going to condemn you. She was standing before the lamb who was going to take her sin. She was standing before the, the sacrifice that was going to hang on a cross for her sin. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. You know who got condemned for her sin? Jesus got condemned for her sin. And he says, I don't condemn you. And then he gives her a command. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Make no mistake. Right? Make no mistake. Sin is dangerous and it's deadly and we don't minimize sin. That First Corinthians verse that we read, there's two verses in verse 9 and 10 in chapter 6. And sin is serious and has major consequences and it separates us from a powerful, loving God. But for some crazy reason, this gracious God says, yes. I'm willing to bridge that, but go and sin no more. Um, I'm going to read Matthew 21 to you, uh, verses 28 through 32, and I'm just going to read them real quick over you because I think it's a, it's a cool picture of who gets in to the kingdom. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 21. It's up on the screen. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons, right? And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. This son said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And then he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, go, go work in the vineyard. And that son answered, I will go, sir. But he didn't actually go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collector and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. He's speaking to the religious who talk a good game, say, yes, I'm gonna do your will, I'm gonna be obedient, but then don't. And they talk the talk. And he says, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and the worst of the worst who end up repenting and doing my will, they get to enter the kingdom of heaven before a bunch of people who look really holy and say the right things. Those people who obeyed. 
John came to you in the way of righteousness, Jesus says, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They believed, they repented, they changed, they obeyed. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe in him. Man, I I love that story because it's convicting because there's a difference between those two sons. And what's the difference? It's obedience. But it's obedience that should come as a response to the grace that God gave. Obedience from a woman who got dragged before Jesus, condemned and guilty. And then he says he doesn't condemn her. And he loves her. God's kindness leads us to repentance. And we see God's kindness and his compassion, and that should stir our hearts and say, I want to follow, I want to serve, I want to be obedient. I want to look the way he looks. We don't look at self-righteous churches or people or organizations or... We look at a God who loves us right where we're at. I love that. God offers grace. He takes sin seriously, but he offers grace. Um, so he, here's how I want to end. The, to the person in this room, um, to the person in this room who's not following Jesus tonight, right? And maybe you're in this room or you're listening to this on a podcast and somebody told you to listen to this. Maybe they told you to listen to it because they know uh, they love you and they know that you have seen a really valid barrier to your faith. You've seen a really valid barrier to following Jesus. And that's a bunch of judgmental, homophobic, hypocritical people. And that's keeping you from seeing a God who is compassionate and loving and loves broken people right where they're at. But also desires them to, to move forward. Not because he's some angry God that wants to crush us like ants. But because he knows that following him is what we're designed to do. He knows that we are most satisfied when he is most glorified. He knows that to rebel against God and his ways won't produce life and fruit. And so it's out of compassion and love that he says, come and obey, sin no more. And so if you're here tonight and that's you, that's my hope, my prayer is that you see the gospel, you see that a good God sent his son to die, and then we believe, as crazy as it sounds, he rose from the dead. Everything hangs on the fact that we believe 2,000 years ago God's son did not stay dead, he rose again, and now he intercedes for us. He stands next to God and says, that's my boy, that's my girl, for those who have said, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. I'm not sure how to do the whole Christian thing, the whole religious thing, but Jesus, I I wanna follow, I wanna surrender my life to him, I wanna stop being my own God, it's not working. That's my prayer and hope in that the kindness of God tonight would lead you to repentance, would lead you to a life changed that, yes, brings God glory with with, with a life of, of holiness that increases hopefully more and more and more, and we're still on the struggle bus, but as we grow to look more and more like him, and then we have this gracious God that as we fall down, picks us up and says, yeah, Ben, you're, you're struggling to walk, but I'm gonna keep walking, I'm gonna keep teaching you. That is my hope if that is you and your story tonight. And my hope if your story is, man, you've been following Jesus. You surrendered your life to Christ. You are his. But maybe you have fallen into this trap of self-righteousness. Maybe the Holy Spirit's identifying some things, some lack of humility in your life. Maybe he's identifying some some places that, uh, that you judge other people, that you love to look at someone else's sin and not your own. Man, my hope tonight and my prayer tonight is that including my own, that my life, would, my, my mind would be wrecked by that and it would be changed by that. And Lord would reveal that. That's my hope. 
and that we would see other people's sin through a different lens. Instead of a judgmental, hateful, bigoted lens, we would see other people's sin the way our God sees our sin, which is with such grace. And we'd be able to meet people where they are. And yes, we'd be able to call them to something different. But that we would be able to see this. Or maybe this is it. Maybe you need to see your sin in a different light. Maybe you're so judgmental towards your own sin and your own shame. And when you make a mistake, and when you stumble, and when you fall, Maybe you hear, I think I'm actually pretty gracious, Ben. I don't know that I'm super self-righteous. I'm trying to apply this, but I don't know that I'm a super self-righteous person. Maybe it's you. Maybe when you fall and stumble, you cannot show yourself the grace that Jesus is trying to show you. And you condemn yourself and you carry misplaced shame and misplaced guilt and it shapes who you are and your identity and and it perverts your relationship with a God who says, I love you, I don't condemn you. And you say, no, 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 I messed up, I messed up, I messed up, I messed up. And tonight you would say, that's not how your God loves you. You would see that and, and you would realize the person you're condemning is not the guy across the street or that sinner at the bar. or what. The person you're condemning is yourself. And the Holy Spirit would break through that barrier tonight and say, stop. If you have put your faith in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8 says. And tonight, you get to take a step towards the freedom that the gospel brings and remind yourself the identity that you have as a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What was once red as scarlet has been made white as snow. Man, that is my hope, that is my prayer. Uh, let me finish tonight with, uh, with 1 Corinthians 6, uh, where, where I started. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, if you remember, it said, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Remember that? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, right, which means lustful thoughts even. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then listen to what happens in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. My hope and prayer is that you, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, that you would put your faith in Christ and be washed and justified in Jesus Christ. And for those who have, would we live like it? Would we preach that to ourselves and would we preach that to the world around us? Let me pray for you. Father, help us. Help us to do this. Help us to believe this more and more. God, this really is a, a broken thing we live in, uh, this culture, and we need you. We need you to show us who you really are, Father. Would we be people of the word, God, of your word? Uh, would we be shaped by it? And would we um, continue to, to find our identity and, and find um, your lens at which you see the, the world around us through Scripture? Protect our wicked hearts from judgment that isn't from you. Um, protect it from misplaced shame that we try to put on ourselves. And, and then, Lord, let us not minimize our sin. Would tonight not be about minimizing sin, but would it be about expanding the grace of God? Lord, we know that our sin separates us. We, we hear that. We see that in Scripture. We know that those who sin, which is everyone in this room, everyone listening to this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But by your grace, those who put their faith the worst of sinners, 
we get grace? Would that produce change in our life? Would that be the real only thing that truly produces real change in our life? Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for loving us the way you do. In the name of Jesus, amen.